is film like milk. Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's. Mm. Damn it. <laughs> Whole milk, skim milk, medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Hi, and welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we decide if a movie has gone bad in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and with me as ever, um, not an underground worm, but certainly quite as agile, is my good friend, David William Rogers. Hello. They're under the ground. <laughs> What's up, Paris? Did you feel seen seeing a smooth uh, creature just like yourself uh, on the television? I did. Just, just moving around under the ground <laughs> grabbing Your people with yeah. these three little <laughs> ying, 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 ying. yum yeah delicious love it love that journey for you well david uh since we've given a few clues and also it says it in the title of the podcast what is the film we are doing today the film we are doing today is tremors 1990 directed by ron underwood writing credits go to ss wilson Brent Maddock and Ron Underwood. This stars Kevin Bacon, Fred uh, Fred Ward, Finn Carter, Michael Gross, Reba McIntyre, who can't give away some of my acting secrets, but there's this one song of hers I listen to if I gotta, you know, get emotional before for an audition or something like that. Mm. Um, and uh, is it Arena Richards, who we've all seen in Jurassic Park? As yeah, a, the little girl. Yeah, yeah. So this might have Ariana. been her, her first her first bigger movie. Yeah. Um, this is just a fun movie for me. I know Paris, you haven't seen it before. I have it was not on seen it. it was on your list that you sent me, and I, immediately I said, Tremors, let's do it. This is gonna yes. be a fun one. Yes, my partner and I have a list of like a hundred something movies that we are gonna try to watch this year. You know, sort of gaps in the film knowledge. Some are pulled from the AFI list, some are just random fever dream movies that Scott was like, oh, you've never seen this. Let's put it on the podcast or not the podcast on the list. Um, and that was this one. I sent David screenshots and then we were going to do a different film, which we'll get to in some weeks, but our guest dropped out. And so I was like, I have a friend that I feel like would be down to just last minute jump into the podcast. And she did. So yeah. David, we have a guest joining us today. Rachel Hanna. Hello to you. Hey, Hi, Paris. Hi, David. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming last minute. We love a last minute guest. We will get to your bio in just a moment. But before we do, we have to do a synopsis of this insane film. David, whose turn is it? Me? Definitely. I want to hear you do this. Well, I think that's good because I've never seen it before. This is a film about a sexy duo out in the desert just being handymen when all of a sudden... Uh, people start getting sucked into the ground and it's pretty fucking crazy. One guy dies from dehydration up on a power line. They're like, this is insane. This doesn't make any sense. It's a little town, no people, very isolated. Come to find out there are some worm-like creatures under the ground that are creating tremors. This seismologist is out there. She's trying to figure out what's going on. And yeah, long story short, they basically try to kill everyone and eat them. Um, Lots of questions, to be fair. Uh, but yeah, a fun creature feature from the 1990s. We love young Kevin Bacon. And uh, yeah, the other guy can fully get it. I was like, oh, I know him. What's his name? John Ward? He was in Fred Ward. He was in Joe Dirt. Joe Dirte. Yeah. Um, super hot, I thought. Um, maybe that's just my age. I know we were all supposed to be lusting after Kevin Bacon, but... I was into it. Um, but anyways, that's the film. Um, everybody survived, or not everybody, but spoilers, some people get away. And I still have a lot of questions because this is 
science. Um, but we'll get to that. For now, let's introduce our guest. So Rachel, we said hello to you. I have your bio here. You were born and raised in the rainy backwoods of Washington State. You're a lesbian genre writer whose pilots have received accolades from competitions such as Launchpad, ScreenCraft, and the Austin Film Festival. Your first feature, a cruise ship rom-com, will be going into production in 2023, and your network drama pilot Genesis is currently in development at Image Movers. Wonder how you got it over there. She, When she's not writing, Rachel is the creative executive at Spycraft Entertainment, a production company founded by former CIA officers. You're a graduate of Harvard University. Feel like you buried the lead on that one. And you promise that you'll only mention that this one time. And so, you just did. So now I don't have to say it at all. I, I appreciate it. Got it. I mean, I dropped the H-bomb. Thank you. I wonder if a Harvard graduate would have been able to figure out what was going on faster in this movie, but more on that later. Rachel, let's talk about you as a person. So we connected through being executives together in the film and TV industry. We're also both randomly writing rom-coms for the same company. We are. Mine has somehow leapfrogged yours in the queue and mine's going into production in February. I'm so happy for you. I'm not bitter at all. It's okay. Yours is set on a cruise ship. Mine is set in a fake small town. But they both have similar pilot premises, I bet. Oh, I'm sure. Um, They're all the same. But but also, what I love about how we've become friends through the industry is, yes, I sort of made a joke about it. So Image Movers, Robert Zemeckis' company, I had read your pilot, which is incredibly good, Genesis. I can't wait to see this come to life on TV. Fingers crossed. I had met with the executive over there and I knew what they were looking for. And this is the film business. We were able to slip that straight to him. And uh, yeah, I was wondering how you feel juggling being a writer and being an executive in this crazy business. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, you know this, obviously you're doing the same thing I am, the, the same hustle, um, mm-hmm. but it's it's not easy. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I feel like there's something really great about being an executive and a writer. Because mm-hmm. not only are you, you know, learning about what people want, you're making those connections like you talked about, but you're on the other side of the table. Um, and so you can almost reverse engineer your writing to a degree, not to make it sound less creative or less, you know, fun, but there is an element of being able to say, okay, like, I understand the business. I understand, you know, I know what it's like to read 50 scripts in a weekend. So if you mm-hmm. give me a script where there's, you know, pages and pages of text, you understand that that's not that's not going to make the other person who's reading your work happy, right? You understand your audience in a way that I think, and your first audience in this business is, you know, other executives. So you are your your own best reader, I think, in a way that you mm-hmm. can't be um, without having that experience. So, you know, blessing and a curse, right? You you have to expend so much creative energy on other people's projects, and I love the projects that I get to work on at Spycraft. Like I'm, I'm in love with all the people I work with, and the projects we're doing are fun, and I want to give 110% to all of them. But then having that time at the end of the day to write and making sure you have to be so protective of your time because you have mm-hmm. to make sure that creative energy is going to follow into your own work, right? You can't sacrifice one or the other. So it's always this huge, you know, this huge Balance. balancing act. But you know, I mean, I met you, so. This is, you know, the best thing that came out of being executive, obviously. A little flattery would get me far on this podcast, I can tell. So much. Very far, indeed. Um, It's also interesting, you know, you you talk about a lot of interesting points, but I also will say as a writer myself and yourself too, I bet it makes us better at giving notes because I cannot tell you, you know, when I was an assistant in the business, like 
how many meetings I sat in and like producers and like people with like decision making powers just unable to articulate like what is wrong with the script and everybody thinks they can write or everybody has an idea you know this is an ideas business I have been told that I give really thorough and concise notes you know there's a term in the business like the note behind the note and I hate that because I'm like can't you just say what it is like just be straight up like don't say like oh the relationship's not working and make the writer sort of like bend their brain trying to figure out what the fuck you mean it's like just be like I think that there's not enough tension in the beginning or I don't think that they seem like they're opposite enough to make the reveal that they fall in love you know big so I'm curious if you feel the same way as an executive I mean for sure it's so much helpful to have that background and I think too you know being in pitches you know being a person Mm -hmm. who pitches and then also a person who hears pitches um, I feel like I'm able to really connect with writers and I feel like you know, as creative executives, we're kind of the buffers in our companies, right? You know, we kind of are the first line of defense for the writers that we're working with. And I feel like being a writer and letting the writers I'm working with know I'm a writer just makes that relationship that much stronger because they know that I'm not, you know, I'm on their side, right? I I can think totally. in that language. And yeah, it comes down to being able to give notes and be able to brainstorm it. You know, there's so many times writers call me and we just blue sky stuff, because they know mm-hmm. that they're talking to a fellow writer. There's, it, it doesn't feel like they're talking to an executive, right? And I feel like as, as much as we can kind of blur those boundaries, the better the work that we're going to create. I saw something on Twitter that I forget who it was. Someone was like, and then I started realizing that executives were humans and then like went on to say something else about like how they were, you know, it's not just a gatekeeper. It's a, it's a human being that like I can help them and they can help me. And I'm like, was this always- a news flash to them? I don't know, but I'm like, of course we're people are human. Wow. (laughs) Executives are human. We don't want to just fuck up your project for no reason. We don't want to say no. Actually, we want to say yes, because that makes our jobs a lot easier. It makes us look good. We want to look good. Everyone wants to look good in this business. I mean, I think the biggest the biggest lesson I've learned so far, and I you know, I feel like the earlier you can learn this, the better, is that nobody knows what the fuck they're doing Mm -hmm. in Hollywood. And it's just it's BS all the time. Um, as writers, as execs, as actors, as, you know, creatives, whatever we are, there's just an element of, of BS. And I think because we're BSing on two fronts, we're just in, you know, 50% better position. I think that's in a lot of professions and markets and industries, not just this one, but maybe a little bit more in this one. But, you know, like my day to day too, it's like, does anybody know what they're doing? Okay, I guess I'll just take a shot and I'll figure it out from here. So sometimes you just got to jump in and and see where you land. That scares me though, because like when I was younger, I thought like adults, like they know stuff and now I am an adult and I'm like, I don't know anything. And yeah, it's, it is interesting, but this business is so much give and take. I think it's been fascinating, you know, Rachel and I, are just two of many writing executives. I actually started a Slack group for people that I was meeting with generally to sort of exchange projects. And and that's what executives do, right? Like today I slipped this script that I think is so funny to another talent-led pod um, because I don't think my talent that I work for is available to, you know, to do it. And it's just so funny. Like we're such an underground network, but as I'm meeting more and more people in this business, I'm also realizing how many people have creative aspirations. And I don't think that's weird because there's obviously something about storytelling that drew us in, in the first place. And then there's just so many jobs and so many ways to like be a part of culture and, and art. So 
Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about your career and stuff at the end. But speaking of pitching, um, Rachel, how would you pitch me this movie, Tremors, if you were to make it right now? Oh, my gosh. Right now? I mean, I think the thing I liked, I, like you, Paris, had never seen this movie before. So this was mm-hmm. this was a cold watch for me. <laughs> um, I'm sorry if that hurts you, David, a little. I can see your face. You're like, ugh. No, um, I I love that. It's a I'm, classic. It's I'm really happy good. for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I I had a great like night in bed, just like cup of tea and and Kevin Bacon peeing off the side of a mountain. I mean, what kind of <laughs> great better o- opening? Can great you ask opening. For? Yeah. So, no, I mean, yeah. I think the thing for me that I really liked was it's all practical. Like, when was the last time either of us watched a movie that is entirely practical effects? I mean, that's like ET. You know, like. Tremors. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other this, movies that. You well, know, we like... we watched we watched Alien uh, oh, last year, yes, the year okay. before, which I had never seen before. And then, like you know, in my research of it, I did look into how they did the eggs, which was with like a glove, like literally in a plastic balloon thing that they were like. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like the '90s was all about practical effects. Jurassic Park. I feel like this is this to me felt like. Jurassic Park or Jaws, like that same, like there's a monster and there's only a small group of people that know about it and they have to figure it out, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think Kevin Bacon makes this film. I'm very curious, David, if you know where he was in his career when this happened, because obviously he's like Kevin Bacon now. He's megastar, right? Uh, no, in the 90s, I th- I'm pretty sure Footloose was previous it was okay. yeah right he has two yeah. assistants and that, listed in the credits which seems to me oh, to, say, to mean that he's 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 you know he's living so, his life he's being kevin bacon footloose was in 84 um mm. so yeah and he was in um animal house as oh, like uh uh you know kind of a smaller role but um he was like one of the jocks one of the frat guys so yeah i mean he had some success prior to this but yeah to your point I mean, f- well, Footloose, I was going to say, blew up his career. Mm-hmm. Like, that's an iconic role. That was his role. big yeah. breakout, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just still a young Kevin Bacon, though, just running around screaming and yelling. <laughs> What's not to like? He was definitely a 90s heartthrob. You could tell. They really made him sort of like that dirty, sexy guy. But, I'm t- yeah, again, yeah. like, I'm on the other side of 30 now, and I was definitely about Fred Ward. I was like, okay, I like this, like, grizzled old now, dirty what, guy. Now, what I wouldn't mind seeing, and this may already exist, if somebody was really talented, you know, editing-wise, take the scene from Footloose when he's running through the abandoned buildings, <laughs> and he's jumping around, and he's sweaty, and he's, like, rage dancing, and then cut in the tremor chasing him. And then go back and forth. I think that would be hilarious. And then have the tremor fly off the the cliff at the end. That's a that's a stunt script for sure. <laughs> yeah. Where you just blend like footloose and tremor. <laughs> tremor. Um, well, let's talk about the film. So this is obviously the Age Like Milk podcast. First thing I noticed was obviously not a ton of diversity, which is something that comes up a lot. They did have Chang, who you know wasn't. I didn't feel too stereotypical. There were, I literally, my first note was not feeling good about this character. Like I was a bit worried that it was going to go left. Walter, Walter Chang. Yeah. I just felt like with the first introduction, I just felt like it was going to, they made a couple of comments. I mean, it wasn't breakfast at Tiffany's. That's the bar, right? (laughs) That's that's a really high bar. Yeah. 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 (laughs) 
but uh, not a whole lot of diversity. A very white town yeah, it, in the middle of. It was Nevada. Walter and Miguel, basically. Oh, yeah. I guess Miguel was there mm-hmm. too. Yeah. I guess that's actually not that bad, but I was like, it just always makes me laugh when I'm like, this is just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have, didn't have to, for me, what it looked like any native people or African Americans. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think with like native people being that this took place, it was actually shot in Northern California, but supposed to be Nevada would have been Mm. easy to do. Um, But then also, you know, but watching it, I felt okay. I thought that it was good that uh, Miguel and Walter both got to represent a little bit and Mm -hmm. they were actually characters with some Mm -hmm. feeling in this movie, adding to the plan, right? Like uh, Miguel was like, Hey, let's let the little grass cutter mower run the other way for a distraction. So they they were adding to the plot and to the, this is true. They weren't just plot devices that were Mm -hmm. like, gab union and she's all that but yeah that's the example i always use rachel because we we did that movie very early on when we were starting out and it was like analyzing it like sort of blew away my you know 90s 2000s like middle school yeah i feel like that one didn't age very well at all did not i think we're (laughs) due for trimmer's remake i actually noticed that there are a lot of sequels this was um yeah big franchise what's that sorry this they made a multiple movies and i think there's tv Yeah. And I I just saw that, yeah, there were a lot, but I would love to see like a fully big budget version of this, like a Jurassic Park level. Because I do feel like this is kind of, in terms of creature features, I don't know. I mean, you guys tell me, I had never heard of this movie before. I mean, I'd heard of it. I just, it predated me by a couple of years. Um, I mean, I I saw it very early on. I two older brothers so like this was like a fun kind of oh big monsters movie for us and i wanted to ask you too about like how did you feel about they don't the tremors don't have an origin right um at least in this one i haven't seen the sequel so they may get into that but they did that intentionally they didn't want people to like Mm. you know know where it came from to like diluted at all it was just they got to talk about maybe they came from this maybe they came from that so like overall as like a monster how did you feel about it compared to like a jaws or you know something that would chase you and try to kill you rachel i mean i thought it was really fun um i mean it kind of remind like dune was the comp that came to mind for mm. me just because of with the sandworms sand yeah that's the sandworms it's like the smaller version of the sandworms on um arrakis but i thought it was fun because it's you're with the characters the entire time right like you mm-hmm. only know as much as they know you have the geologist at one point mentioned that there's no this isn't in the fossil record so it has to like predate the fossil record so mm-hmm. they have to be billions of years that's i think that's about all the background we get um yeah. you know and we're learning with them like oh there's these tentacle things and that's not the monster there's a bigger you know there's a bigger monster and so i think that was something i feel like a lot of things now try to build backstory and almost over explain a lot of times and there's something mm-hmm. really fun about we know just as much about what's happening as the characters that we're watching do. There's no, we're not like jumping between a lab yeah. in Los Alamos and them in Nevada. We're, we're with them the entire time. And that's, I think that's what makes it scary and it's still scary, even though, you know, it's 30 years old now. Yeah. And you get to go for the ride with them. Exactly. No, so, we don't do that anymore. 
Yeah, which is yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a fun. I agree. I you know the way you put, I was gonna say it almost felt like an indie creature feature, but I think that's the wrong terminology. It's definitely like contained, which we love. That's kind of that genre is coming back at the moment. I, I think you're right. Like they could have easily cut to like L.A. Like sir, the pe- get the Pentagon on the line, but they didn't. They kept it um, contained, and I loved some of the camera shots where the it was like foot level. You know the thing was coming, but. I have to say, I mean, this is no surprise to anyone, but the monster with 30 something years behind it looks kind of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like I was not really afraid. I mean, David knows, and I don't know if you know this, Rachel, but I'm kind of a wuss when it comes to like horror films. And, um, you know, I saw Megan recently and obviously just like looking at that fucked up thing, like this Android that goes on a killing spree. And then you've got this like worm, thing i mean they don't really explain what it is it's basically like a giant worm with like a big mouth and then like three like tongue snakes i don't really know how to describe it it's like it's hard to be afraid like yes obviously sinking into the sand is terrifying but i feel like there was this trend in the 90s and they were just like is a shark scary is an alligator scary is a worm thing scary like they just were like literally like I'm trying to think, is a void scary? Is a feeling scary? Is a smile scary? Like, I just don't know. Is an alien scary? Like, they were just, like, really (laughs) digging deep (laughs) on some of these monsters. I don't know. Yeah. um, And they actually didn't use the word worm when they were Mm. piecing together different animals for this. But, like, to your point, there were some, like, scenes that didn't really hold up. And a couple of them were like when they'd see like blood and like human skull or whatever and like a construction hat just look really red and pink and like like somebody threw some, you know, paste down or something like that. But with the tremor itself or the graboid, as as Walter calls it, um, I think if you shot this today and updated it, it's still because it's just an animal that you've never seen before. Mm. So you can still kind of get the feeling like, oh, this thing could exist, right? Because you think of how many other crazy animals like in the ocean are super weird looking, things like that. Yeah. So The scariest thing about anything like this is the unknown. I think as soon as we see the creature – you know, the scariest part is when it, it could be anywhere and like the guy gets sucked down or like the sheep are freaking out or whatever. So as soon as you see it, of course, it's going to ruin some of the magic and mm-hmm. it's going to look a little lame. Also, it's the 90s. So yeah, the practical effects, meh. Um, but also I think it's HD. I mean, I was watching this on my you know beautiful TV and sometimes even now, you know, we were watching an officer and a gentleman also on our list and Scott was like, is he wearing eyeliner? And he is, uh, Richard Gere, but it's because <laughs> back in the day when they were shooting it like sort of soft focus or whatever, and people didn't have 40 televisions or 4k, sorry. Um, yeah. So I think it's all of that. Right. But am I crazy? There was a scene where they really held on this like exploded carcass of the graboid and it looked like there was eggs. Did you guys notice that? Where was like which part when they blew it up with the dynamite or the second one they blew up and then they zoomed in and there was like these clear sort of egg things. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that's how they was that in the basement. No, outside. I don't know. There was a lot going on. Lots of orange blood. The orange blood that that broke me a little bit. I Yeah. Come on, guys. Definitely. How did you two feel about the basement scene? Because that one always sticks in my head. It's like Reba and her husband, they make a stand. And it's that gun nut family 
that exists <laughs> in multiple places in the country. And you know, they got a hundred different guns and they are just going back and forth, pulling stuff off the wall and seeing, you know, which shot is going to land on this thing. Like, <laughs> how did you two feel about that? Cause it's not a short scene. No, I mean, I, I want Reba McIntyre to play a prepper more often. Um, I think she was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. Kevin Bacon. Great. But, Reba, I feel like almost stole it for me just because yeah. it's it's so against type. I think at least thinking of who I think of her as now, right? Seeing her in this, it was like, this is so fun. Um, I mean, I feel like I know these people, right? Like I, I grew up in this little logging town in Washington State and I feel like, you know, I've been in these basements. They called a rec room at one point, which I thought was hilarious. They're like, no one yeah. destroys our rec room. Um, I was like, yeah, guess this is a, a rec room um <laughs> recreation room yeah mm. i mean they have this food supply that we hear about later i mean yeah, yeah no it, five it, year it, water it, supply Geiger it made me Connor. laugh i don't know um you know i think did it age well <laughs> that's I mean, that's a different question are, right yeah but I, people I, are out there i i love it i though. thought they were like I thought Americans would be like, this is the dream. Like, all my guns, something to kill. <laughs> Some people have guns. I'm like, why do you have guns? Like, why the fuck do you have guns? This guy was like, I'm fully justified to have this elephant rifle. Yeah. And then he took it down. Um, I don't know. They were, Reba, I'm with you. Like, please, can if somebody listens to this, can you please cast Reba as like some kind of badass like action hero? She's probably too tired to do it, but like she can be in the reboot. Sick. She can head the reboot. Ugh, this was her God. first uh, first feature film. She oh, really? She yeah. Did, yeah, she was great. Crushed it. I thought all of the characters were actually really good. You really got that sense. Like, I know it's partly like the costume design and like the setting, but the the dirt just felt so baked into all of these people and those little kids that were just so bored in this town little shit <laughs> yeah he had that little community everybody had you know a lot of different characters and they all worked well off each other i thought and like i love paris what you're saying earlier about this being contained and i'm finding i love movies more and more that are contained like this the town shut down yep walter's radio doesn't work because of the mountains that tracks for me you know without the, having the satellites road gets shut down because the rocks yeah fall down. yeah and it's like oh shit what do we do now and then to the scene with reba and her husband in that basement it's like yeah you kind of are justified i've been doomsday prepping forever the guy said he has a geiger counter as, as they're leaving um for nuclear to like uh, for, well he yeah. mentions the russians at one point and I, I think we thinking about the time frame right like this was came out in 1990 so like, that was an actual cold war, the, cold war yeah. the threat was still present so i think they they yeah. speak to that in a really fun way and guess what you just wait 30 years and the threat comes around <laughs> again just like fashion baby we're back i know back maybe we should be moving to Russian. perfection nevada nevada Maybe yeah. we should be fucking careful where we go step outside, you know, because these worms like fuck or graboids or whatever. Um, I just think it's funny. This movie kind of lives off the premise of, you know, you can't trust the ground. Basically, you've got to be careful where you step. And it's just funny, like comparing this movie to Jaws. That's like you can't trust the water. I just think there's this like antitrust vibe of like, I don't know. It's just interesting, like in jaws that try to stay on the boat so that they don't get eaten it's like an unknown environment that this creature i don't know it's very it's not formulaic i don't want to say that but there are sort of similarities between this and like other creaturey horror type things 
yeah. climbing. It's yeah. like you take the one thing that you can't live without and turn it into the, the ground, animal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Or like you're saying, Jura- Jurassic Park. They, you know, with the T Rex, the whole thing is don't, don't movement. You know, you can't move because he can. The T Rex can sense that and they'll grab you, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, with that, and then it's like they figure out as they're going that it's on the ground. If you're making too much noise, they can feel it through the rock because it's a good conduit. And they're pole vaulting over the rocks, which is kind of a fun scene. Um, but yeah, it's like has any like have you guys ever been stuck somewhere? I know Paris, you have, like Rachel. <laughs> yeah. So it's like now incorporate a monster or something in the wild. Like, you know, it could be a mountain lion or something. And you kind of get that feeling like, oh, fuck, stranded and this thing can haunt me. It's always funny to look at like sort of horror films. I guess this is a horror film, right? Creature feature. Um, It's interesting to see like what humans are afraid of. And honestly, like a theme that runs through all of them is like isolation, you know, being cut off from community, being cut off from help. Because I think at our core, humanity, you know, they're like waiting for someone to figure out that they're stuck and then they're like fuck we have to do it ourselves i don't know it's just interesting you know even like with megan which david and i saw together it's like the isolation is that nobody believes her that this robot has gone insane you know that you know it's just it's fascinating to me that we are such a community driven creature humanity that is um that it's always kind of like this underlying thing so funny um, yeah, let's talk about the romance in the film, guys. The romance between Kevin and I need to pull up my IMTV. What is that? Her name say? is Finn Carter, and she her character was Rhonda Lebec. Oh, Rhonda Lebec and Valentine McKee. So his great name. Uh, in this movie. Great name. Earl Bassett. That's Fred. Uh, we got Bert Gummer, Heather Gummer, <laughs> Melvin Plug. Gummer. Nancy only gets a first name. Yeah. Sorry, Nancy. Um, but. Let's talk about the romance. So Kevin's character is like, I hope she, so basically the, the love interest is like a university student that's like testing seismology. That's how they find out about the graboid, the worm. And he's like, God, I hope she's like tall and blonde. He does say a little bit of like, mm, objectifying women stuff. He's like with, uh, I don't know what he says about her boobs, but basically like perfect boobs and ass that won't quit and then legs that go up to here. And then they pull up on her and she's like kind of a short brunette, still very pretty. But uh, yeah, what did you guys think about the romance? Did you think it flowed through the film or what? Go ahead, Rachel. Yeah, I mean, I I thought it was fine. I think that the, my favorite part actually was at the end when he, he says, um, you know, what does she want with a guy like me, right? Because if we if think about it, this is a, this is trauma bonding. These two have bonded over this insane <laughs> trauma that is these graboids coming to get them. They have maybe said 10 words about each other to each other at this point, right? There's no there's no personal connection. He has he has seen her in her panties. She, he did help. Everyone the boys, in the town but... saw her in her panties. Um, <laughs> that is very true. But yes, apart from like the little I'm applying antiseptic to your cuts, there hasn't that was kind of the the one little cute moment, but they haven't had a whole lot of chance to get to know each other. So I I worry that this is not a relationship that's going to last <laughs> beyond last. the credits. Uh, Reba's song's going to play and they're going to break up by, by the end of it. Yeah. I'm okay yeah. with that though for this. Cause I, I'm, it's almost refreshing to me, even though this is an older movie that they didn't force feed us this mm. relationship. 
they're going through it. You know, him and his buddy almost have like kind of a, like a love affair, you know, partnership. Yeah, like that, yeah, well, not really even bromance, together. like a married, uh, mar- any married couple, how they argue and fight. And like you do it, I do it. And going back and forth. And then she's kind of in the middle of it. There's one scene when they're stranded on the rocks. She's trying to say the plan that'll get them out of there. And they're not even listening because they're just arguing. So I did write that down too. I was like classic white guy, not listening to smart <laughs> woman. And I felt very infuriated, but I know that the point was, yes, yeah, that, it wasn't that because they all the time. But yeah. they do start, they do listen to her like throughout the movie towards the end, especially. Um, and I just, I like that the romance wasn't jammed down. And then, yeah, Rich, to your point, I like that fact that he's talking to himself like, yeah, why wouldn't she want me? And then, you know, they kiss and maybe they go on a couple of dates and they talk about their, you know, their experience with the girl boys and together, then they, maybe? and then they know. break up. Yeah, that's fine. But maybe she uh, inspires him to to move out of the town. I mean, it does seem like they're kind of finally getting their shit together at the end, but I don't know. I mean, we all three of us moved to LA from somewhere else and I can, I would put money on it that the three of us all know people who always said that they wish they could move to LA and then they didn't. Right. Like there are certain people I think that feel very trapped in their circumstances or, and, and of course there's an economical factor. Not everyone can afford to move to one of the most expensive places in this country, but I also know a lot of people that like had more money than I did and they just like were really held back by their ideas that they couldn't do it. And so I do think that's a funny part of this film is like they keep saying they're going to leave. They keep saying they're going to leave. And then at the end, they kind of seems like they finally do. But um, yeah, maybe she inspired him to like go to university or something. Maybe they'll do a tour and talk about this story. Yeah, $3 a picture. A little book tour. Yeah. Yeah. Graboids. Yeah. David, them. what else stood out to you in this film? Because I know you, when I sent you that list, you were like, oh shit, let's do that. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's just the overall how this was put together. I just mm-hmm. love, like, I'm not an adrenaline junkie by any means, right? But if I'm in this situation and it's like, you know, with my ADD brain and it's just constant focus on something because it's high alertness and you're running from something, I just, love movies like this so it was just that's why it jumped off the page to me to to see that um but then thinking about these monsters too comparative to you know jaws and the other like whatever monster you want to put in that's chasing you i i do think it's interesting um just how they look how they came up with it and for me it like kind of holds up because there's this uh, like mysticism, it's like, okay, were these things hibernating for the past however many years? And then something woke them up, maybe a construction or whatever. Um, so there's, I I like that it's a lot of parts in this movie were kind of left open to uh, interpretation and let your imagination run. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I really liked how they spoon fed us information, um, especially when it comes to like, what are these graboids, right? We get this little you know, obviously we, we get some of the, the tremors and stuff's going down and the guy up in the, the tower, which I think is awesome. You know, it's like, why is he up there? There's just so much cool foreshadowing. It's like, we know something's coming. And just like David talked about all of those ground shots, which are super ominous. And then we get the little tentacle essentially on their truck and they're taking pictures with it and playing around. You know, there's just so much fun stuff. And we haven't even talked about the pogo stick. I thought that was brilliant Let's talk about the stick. <laughs> just like the, the way that they put that in it's it seems so natural i mean we talk about exposition these things right especially when you have this mm-hmm. kind of creatures you know 
whenever you have a, a horror film, you want to get the audience to be afraid. And I think sometimes you can fall into the trap of, you know, building up too much exposition, whether that's science or technology or, you know, it's killed tens of thousands of people, whatever it is. This is, this is not that. This is so subtle. And the pogo stick to me, you have this girl hopping by and, you know, they're driving out of town. They're finally going to leave perfection, right? And they're talking to their neighbor and it's just, it feels so, so organic and so weird and quirky and fun. And then that comes back to be a major plot point at the end. Like that's what I think is, is really sold me on this movie was all the little subtle stuff that they, they sprinkled throughout. And I think that to me stood out as the the one that was like, oh, another one was the vibrating, um, fridge cooler thing and the thing mm, it was yes. like noisy and he's like god aren't you gonna fix that and then at the end it like draws them in mm-hmm. which was crazy yeah no that yeah. was that was great too how, clever writing how did speaking to the writing how do the two of you think this this moved because you get the opening they pee you know they're doing a couple of jobs that's that's weird they go over this part of town oh that's weird you know the car the headlights are still on which is another cool shot with the headlights shooting out of the out of the dirt mm. and then it's like grab boy kills people grab boy kills people grab boy kills this grab and then it just goes until the end um so i'm curious how how you think this movie was set up and executed I think it moved along at a good clip. I will say at this point I'll take any movie under 2 hours. I'm so fucking tired of two hours uh but yeah i mean i think you kind of explained it like in the beginning it definitely took me a minute to get my bearings especially because i mean obviously i read the title of the film and saw the picture and was like okay this is clearly some sort of monster thing but it's so subtle like everything that rachel was talking about you really at the end of the day this is also a film about characters and you really get like small town life and you really get like idiosyncrasies between the people and I think a sense of hopelessness, like I was saying, we all know people who like didn't leave their hometowns, right? So yeah, I thought it went well. I will say there was a moment when they were on top of the on top of the roofs where I was like, okay, ready for this next plot point. That was the only beat that I was like, all right, guys, what are we doing They're here? going back and mm-hmm. forth on that CB for a little bit of well, a while. Maybe a beat too long, but yeah. But yeah. I like what you said too about the character stuff because i think you know we talked earlier about diversity and just like how we get to know these people but i think a real test of a movie is how you feel when a character dies and even though a lot of these characters didn't get a whole lot of backstory we didn't really spend so much time with them one-on-one i feel like every single time someone died i felt it i cared i mm. i was upset that they you know got eaten or whatever so i think that that speaks to the, the subtlety of the writing too is that you don't need a whole bunch of backstory yeah. or narration or monologue. If you can get me to a place where totally. I care enough about this person that when they, they die, I feel something, then you've done your job. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what was the most um, noticeable of that was the doctor's wife who gets the car sucked into the ground. Like I was, that was the one time I really did jump was when the thing like smashed the window when it was coming to get her. Um, and basically this character, we don't really know anything about her except that she's the doctor's wife and she lives on this like faraway location. Um, and this monster like pulls her car into the earth and you feel that fear for her, like that, you know, the walls closing in. And yeah, I agree with what you said. It's like, I felt that death so much. We didn't really know her or the, the other farmer guy that got sucked into the ground when he was like looking at his sheep. He, I don't think he said really anything. Mm-mm. I don't think so. So so interesting just these little character windows very subtle very cool 
Um, but yeah, no, I think it was written well, David. I do. I don't think it gets its its dues as much, this film. Yeah, I mean, I never care about ratings or any of that. I'll go see a movie if I want to see it and make my own conclusion. But just looking up some of the background in this film, it didn't seem like it, it's got great, a great score, which is crazy to me because um, I feel like this is like a cult classic now. Like with the... Yeah. Obviously, it's like quite heterosexual, but there wasn't really room in it to be like, oh, by the way, Chang is gay or like such and such. <laughs> but that is something obviously I always notice when there's not like yeah. a lot of it's it's just like straight is the default, which is I guess it's the 90s. So. The, the one thing I would say about this. Yeah, obviously the 90s. Um, but I mean, there's only maybe 10 people in that town. So that's I, I wouldn't I'm not saying I'm giving this a pass, but it's just. I want to see how people got to this place. That is more in my mind when I think about this. I mean, Reba could have been married to a woman. I would like to see that. I was going to say, we have Reba. We have a lot of camp. You know, it's, yeah. it's helping. It, 100%. It, you know, for, for all the, the lack of, of gayness, There's we have a couple of things working for <laughs> <laughs> But to didn't stick in your head how these people got to this town and why they live there, that also jumped in my head. Right. Well, the doomsday prep is they said they love to be off the grid. Yeah. Everybody else kind of question mark. Yeah. Like my thing sticks out to me, the guy with the yellow shirt that got sucked through the tire. Like what, what's his story? He's, he's living in a trailer, you know, and like, what's his, the what's lady his life with the like kids out there? Says something about, she's like, can you help me fix? I think she says my kiln. And she's like, I got, yeah, a, she seems got a lot ceramics of, or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think she's kind of like, she's like an artist living out in the desert for cheap, you know, with her two kids and like maybe has like online orders. I don't know. They gave us like enough pictures. Online <laughs> orders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the nineties. Sure. Sure. People just calling in like, can I get a bowl? And she's like, okay. Uh, she could <laughs> sure. drive them into a more populated city and sell them on the weekend. True. Something like that. But yeah. True. Well, I think we covered a lot about the film guys. It is just a classic type nineties film. I think you'd scroll past it on Amazon if you didn't know about it, but uh, I'm really glad that we watched it. Um, I want to get to the shout out things and also deciding if this film has aged like milk or not. But before we do that, Rachel, I want to talk to you a little bit more about you and writing. So because you're an executive and a writer, um, how do you just decide as with your writer brain on, like what are the ideas that you're going to pursue versus the ones that are not? Cause you did mention like, you know, as an exec, you read a lot of things and I'm sure you're the same as me. Sometimes you get like five scripts that are very similar and like they don't really differentiate. So what is something that makes you feel like, yes, I'm going to write this next idea. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone in the business talks about writing to the market, right. And how that's not necessarily a, a pathway to success. And I I definitely subscribe to that belief. I think there are a lot of people like you're talking about who, you know, the white Lotus is popular. This is, you know, this is us is popular. The last of us or whatever, you know, like whatever the, the show of the week or this is us and the last of us are two very different shows. Just so those are very different shows. (laughs) Just don't get those mixed up. (laughs) No, Um, I don't know why both of those came to my brain as comps. Yeah. Please don't, you know, one is definitely for one one audience and one is probably for a different audience. But, um, you know, I think there is something to be said about knowing what's out there, right? And knowing, I feel like I 
often actually, it's funny that we're watching Tremors from the 90s. I feel like one of the things that I've been doing a lot and did over the pandemic was revisit a lot of the shows that I loved growing up, right? A lot of the like early aughts procedurals and things like that. A lot of, I do genre writing. So a lot, a lot of the early like sci-fi shows and things that I just remember loving, loving for the sake of enjoyment, not because I was dissecting it as a writer, right? And I feel like mm. one of the things I'm trying to, to crack now as a writer, especially in the TV side, is how I take the, the pacing and the fun and the cliffhangers of all of those older shows and pair them with the streaming premium sensibilities on a character level that I think are are so poignant today, right? And I think that's that's kind of what I've been thinking about. But when it comes to, to choosing a project, I'm such a visual person and often starts with an image, either a first image or a last image, which can get you into a lot of trouble, right? You can just start writing and then you have no idea where you're going. Um, so I think I'm, I'm constantly fighting against the urge to just start open a you know final draft document and go versus outlining and you know you know Paris is having someone you know who's written these rom-coms for for this company it's like you're doing an outline in two weeks and a draft in four weeks Mm -hmm. and so when you're when you're writing professionally you have to be much more rigid and disciplined about your process so I think that's that's important to me but yeah when it comes to choosing an idea I think it it is often, yeah, what is something that I want to see? What is a, a moment, a character that I'm fascinated by? And then what is the world that they occupy? Um, because I think if you if you start from character, you're going to end up in a much better spot than if you start with premise or plot or even world oftentimes, because you so need true. that in, you need that, that guide. So Rachel, are you saying um, you, you started that with you're saying people sometimes do write to what's popular. Do like studios want to see that? Um, you know, do you think those have more success on maybe getting to the next step? Because when I think about shows that I've liked my whole life, it was always like you're saying, The Last of Us was obviously a popular video game. White Lotus, I don't remember anything like that until right the first season. So that was kind of an original i like some of these more original stories quick game yeah exactly so um and took forever to get made and i think that's the important thing is you're starting out an idea you know today february 6th right you have an idea for a show that's like the last of us or you know any pick whatever your your favorite show is right now and think about how long it's going to take for that to be on air right you can start writing that script and it'll take, you know, maybe a couple months or, you know, even a couple years or something to get to a place where you feel like you have a, a product that you want to share. Um, and then beyond that, the development process, and this is where the the executive hat comes on a little bit, is you know that, you know, even the most polished of scripts today is not going to meet the eyebrow falls of viewers until two or three years from now, most likely. Yeah, because production so, takes forever. You know, you're writing to a trend that is, you know, at the most two to five years down the road. Um, and that's, I think, where people fall into the, the pit is who knows what's going to be mm-hmm. in vogue two to five years down the road. Right. So I think it, it comes down to writing what you love and hoping and, you know, knowing that your voice is going to come out in that project at, because you're writing it from passion, at, not from and I was gonna, the marketplace. And I was going to say, like, Rachel and I have probably both experienced this. You have a lot of meetings, you know, with studios and streamers or whatever and they're like we want to find our version of insert current hot property so like at the start of last year i was taking a ton of meetings 
and they were like we want to find our next squid games and i'll never forget this and then like six months later which we didn't have a project like that we're not our company the company i work for was never going to do like a fully fucked up like horror you know hour-long tv i mean also said that was Korean so you know I also don't speak Korean but I'm just saying like people were looking for that and then six months later you check in and they're like everyone's really fatigued of like scary stuff and now we just want like our next Ted Lasso and so it's like chasing trends is never gonna suit you because the trends change so much I think is what you're saying oh they do I mean if anything you, you say this is the next Ted Lasso in the pitch and it can be a little bit of a lie and not no one's going to call you on it. <laughs> I don't, I don't um, get as in a... I think that's the way to play as, it. As somebody who is greenlighting projects, I wouldn't want to be scrambling to find the second version of the popular thing. I want the next popular thing. So bring me, people- bring me original until I'm like, holy shit. That one. But Let's people do that are so one. risk averse, David. But, yes. But how, does that sell? I, I mean, it must because they're asking for it. But you're not going to get, I don't think you're going to make as much money as the first Ted Lasso, as the first Last well, of Us, as the first Well, I think it's games. about stealing eyeballs away. So Ted Lasso is an a- Apple show. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Netflix, you're like, I want that level of popularity and like a feel-good comedy yeah. or you know, but I, I agree with you. The groundbreaking stuff is the stuff that always sticks out. Like Wednesday mm-hmm. is a great example for Netflix, like very unique sort of teen drama, supernatural, right? Like very engaging. I can guarantee like so much of it as well. Like Rachel and I are also in the business of like, we have to take these projects to places and we have to educate. Like we're also executives. So writers are bringing us projects and saying like, this is my idea. And then you're having to wrap your head around it. And then you have to take it onwards and you have to figure out how to sell it, how to talk about it. And also, you know, an executive at Netflix is hearing 50 pitches a week, you know, if not more, how do I educate this executive as to why this is going to be a success? Like who's interested? Like, again, also our business is changing where it's like, now you kind of have to come in with an idea of like who you can partner with or like what talents interested. So it's, it's gone from just being like, I found this great piece of material to like, I have found this package. Yeah, no, I work with a lot of writers who I, you know, my company does primarily espionage. And so I work with a lot of, a lot of writers who, um, you know, had their peak, you know, in the eighties and the (laughs) nineties, a lot of wonderful feature writers. Um, but yeah, they, they talk about the, the old days when you could go in and, you know, I'm sure it was a little bit more complicated than this, but you'd, you'd go into the, the head of the studio's office and you'd say, I have an idea for a, a heist film and it's going to be great and it's going to be in New York and it's going to be gritty and there'll be motorcycles. And the guy over on the other side of the desk would say, okay, you know, here's here's a check for $20 million. <laughs> go make your movie. Have some cocaine um, with me and let's go make this exactly. fucking movie. It's like do a, do a line and then, you know, do do a line off the check and then go cash the check and then go make your movie. And, you know, I, I would have loved to work in that. Well, as a woman and, and a lesbian, probably not. <laughs> I don't think they would have been. Well, you, you would like um, to you know, be able I, to I walk into a room great. today and be able to do that and get it, get yeah, the check I could have, you know, in the mix, the progressivism yes. today with the, the check writing, you know, free, free for all of yesteryear, <laughs> I guess maybe we'd get somewhere. But I, yeah, I think that's, it's so interesting to think about. But that I also because... don't know if we would have even had a shot, Rachel, because it used to be so listen, you're from a backwater town in I forget now I closed the Washington chat. State. Um, wow. wow, Washington is that oh, Washington Washington State. 
Washington, yes, Washington David State. Knows. I said Washington. As an I, ag- I'm foreign. Uh, I don't, David's my new name. Rachel, my new, I don't we are good states, friends okay. now. I think there's like five in America. I'm pretty sure I heard about Active it. Active listening. Um, so there's like California and then Chicago and that's not a state. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. So, you know, we you're from a backwater town that you said. David is from Wisconsin, also not a major hub for creativity. Hey, there's an, you know, you know, another state. Good job. <laughs> I know. Well, I do know. I am apparently a Packers fan, as I was told by my yeah. friends. Um, and I'm from the most random background, you know, like a girl from Hong Kong that's Australian by passport. Like what I'm trying to say is that, yes, it sucks that there's no more yesteryear check writing, snorting, just go make this dumb idea that you had probably in the elevator on the way up here, to be honest, and you're just flubbing it. But that was a very gatekeep gate kept time. And now I think with this rise of like so many streamers and so many outlets and YouTube videos and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think it's really great that like more and more people are able to get into the business, even if it is choking out, you know, us getting these checks and it's a bit harder to sell. I think it's, you know, great to see new voices and it's not just old mate pitching a stupid idea. Like if you get a project made in this town, it is amazing because it is so fucking hard. Right. So Anyway, I love that part. Yeah, I think about that whenever we look, we talk about ratings with Tremors, right? Whenever I look at the tomato meter or IMDb or whatever I'm looking at, you know, there, yes, there's this critical consensus of is this good or bad? Mm. But I think, yeah, I, at more and more so as I move through this industry on both sides, I applaud anyone who can actually get anything made. Exactly. You know, you did the thing. The thing exists. And that's why, we, know, that's, that's why we try to always leave with love, even if a movie is like, oh, God. You know, we always do a shout out to the cast and crew, which we'll do in a moment. But it's like people went out there to make something good. They didn't go out there to make something shit, right? Like, and this, it's so hard. So like, even if you saw a movie and you're like, I hated it. It's like, you did a thing, Mm -hmm. right? There's a, I saw Eddie Murphy quote from some interview last week. I forgot where it was, but he was saying, if you have an idea, hold on to it and just keep going. He's like, you know, Mm -hmm. Sharknado was made. And he gave like a couple other examples. He's just like, snakes somebody just, yeah, I think he might've said snakes on a plane as well. And he mm. said, somebody, some, the room, the yeah, room somebody made. had that. That was a different story. That guy. Uh, yeah. That might've been self-financed, hey. which is great. I wish I could do that. Maybe one day. Yeah, he made exactly. It. He did it. He did but it. He, We're still talking true. about it. So he took that idea and he just wouldn't take no for an answer and he got it made. So if you do have an idea and you just keep pressing forward, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. So you you just you just got to keep rocking with it hustle and mm-hmm. hustle yeah well we will start to wrap this podcast up but before we do rachel if you have any advice for someone that either wants to become an executive or someone that becomes wants to do writing like what wise words can you share or people that want to do both i don't know pick your poison um let's see i mean i've been out here for five years and i feel like i'm finally getting my footing um, which I, is actually something I've heard from a lot of people who moved to LA is that it takes about five, six years, especially this was two of those, two and a half of those years were during the pandemic, right? So we can kind of extract those from the equation, but I feel like there is an element of sticking it out. I hear this all the time is that it's, it's not a talent game. It's a, who can stick it out the longest, which is in its own right? Completely unfair, right? We talked about financial barriers, family barriers. There's so many reasons that people don't stick it out. And I think now more than ever, it's not necessarily sticking it out in Los Angeles. You can be almost wherever you want to be, but it's it's just kind of putting the time in every day and, and sticking it out mentally, right? And not letting yourself get bogged down by all the stuff you're seeing 
on Twitter or in the trades or whatever that doesn't have your name on it, right? Um, there is, a, I think, an element of, especially on the writing side, being able to push past all of the, the noise um, and, and just do the work. And, and no, I think too, that you'll find your people and you're, you'll find your tribe if you, if you stick it out long enough. Um, and I think too, like I'm a perfectionist for sure. And so I think that's been a huge learning curve is just knowing that everyone you bring into your circle wants to help you. Um, so they're not expecting a finished product. And so, you know, like you, and one of the things, another great thing about my company is I'm working with a lot of writers who are are so confident in their writing um, for whatever reason. And yeah, we can, you can, you can infer what that reason may be as much as you'd like. Um, But they're so confident. And, you know, I think that's something that we can all learn from is just having the confidence because again, nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. So (laughs) show up and work hard and be cool mm-hmm. i think that's great don't be a don't be an asshole don't be an that's asshole. a big one and also like improve yourself you know i cannot tell you the number of meetings i've had with writers that are like the script is amazing and i'm like it is not you know love that confidence but if somebody gives you feedback like really take it on board and be like I, like listen i don't think i'm an amazing writer but i have a fucking film going into production i think that i I'm an emerging writer that has a lot to learn and got lucky and got a chance and, you know, was in the right place at the right time and really worked hard to like make the most of that. So yeah. Good advice, Rachel. Mm -hmm. We love to hear it. And how can people follow you, connect with you, see you on the internets? Is there any way, do you have plays online? Do you have a YouTube channel? We love to like plug our people. Yeah. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, both at Rachel Harner. Um, and yeah, I have, I, do plays i'm a playwright by trade actually i've done poetry and short fiction i'm a big believer this is i guess another piece of advice i'm a big believer that the story dictates the medium um and but a lot of times failure in storytelling is not failure in story it's failure in recognizing the best way to tell a story Mm. and so i'm constantly playing with ways to tell stories that aren't you know just features or just tv shows so yeah, I'm I'm around, I'm available, I'm in Los Angeles. So, you know, that's awesome. Hit her find up. me on the street. Don't pitch her on Twitter. That's a new rule. I've decided. Yeah, don't don't don't, don't pitch me on Twitter. Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn. I've been getting a lot of LinkedIn pitches recently, oh, yeah. which I don't know why. Rachel, where should people really... where should people go see plays in Los Angeles? Great question. Ooh, that's a good question. I I've been having this conversation a lot with people recently because I feel like I spend a lot of time doing off-Broadway stuff in New York, and I feel like that's a completely different mm. world. I feel like I've kind of settled. There, it's a, The L.A. play scene is a spectrum. Um, and again, everyone who does something is amazing. But I think where I've kind of found my joy is either in the stuff that's kind of like coming from New York or West Coast premieres, so looking at the Amundsen or the Geffen. Mm, um, and then the on the other side of the spectrum, yeah, the Geffen does such good, such good stuff. I'm, I've, I'm like a 65 year old woman. I have a subscription I have <laughs> a seat that I, it's, I have like a Tuesday night recurring ticket awesome. in the oh same God. seat every time. And I go by myself and it's the best gift you can give yourself. If you're a theater oh lover, God, it's so just cute. take yourself out to a play. But on the other side of the spectrum, like not the not professional stuff. And I don't even mean like the aspiring actors. I mean, 
the community theater stuff. Mm. I've actually gone to some really fun, like very clearly just people who love to perform, but are, you know, accountants or doctors or teachers by, by day and don't give a single fuck about the industry and are just getting together to put on a show, Shakespeare or one of the classics or whatever it is, musicals, um, because they love it. And I find a lot of inspiration and rejuvenation through seeing plays like that. So I think, yeah, it's either going to be like kind of the higher end stuff, the stuff that, I, you know, the playwrights I'm still following, the stuff that's being talked off, talked off Broadway or whatever. And then on the far end, it's it's like the the people who are just getting together for the community aspect of it all. Yeah, um, I can think of like they the, do different the things. The Pasadena Playhouse, like there's a bunch of theaters. I went to one in North Hollywood. They're around, mm. I think. But I think that's so the Boston cool. Court is great. That's also in Pasadena. Nice. Plug them. We love that. Yeah. Well, thank you. And the Fringe Festival is always fun. Go to the Fringe Festival. Like go see, go see stand up. Go see um, sketch shows. There's just you know this is a creative town. I think that you give a great point, Rachel. There's it. always stuff going on. I feel like I'm always hearing about plays, and I I love going to stuff and. I mean, if people have plays, please let me know. Yeah, hit us you know. up. We'll put out. Everyone has our email address. Please let us know. David came along. I had a couple of short plays before the pandemic. He came along. I rounded up all my friends. Um, I wrote some random little things for a group called the. What was it called? God, I can't even remember. It's like similar to the Moth. It's like you put it on quickly. I don't know. It's cool. Um, Is it like Fallen Angels or something. Something like that. I cannot remember the name of it right now, which is terrible. There's some great groups, yeah, out of that Broadwater complex that do yeah. a lot of cool, like, plays in, in process kind of reading things. Yeah, it's super fun. Um, it's just good to, like, yeah, flex that creative muscle and see stuff and challenge your viewpoint. We love to see it. Um, but it is getting to that time, friends, where we have to give someone from the cast or crew a shout-out. So, David, show us how it's done. Who are you going to Okay, I went with Alec... Gillis, special effects. Um, mm. So he was big in putting this thing together, the Graboid. And I mean, this movie is not this movie without the Graboid. They they pulled from a lot of different animals um, and they made it what it was, that freaky thing sneaking up under the ground. Um, he's got 57 uh, previous credits on IMDb for special effects, Godzilla versus Kong. He was a creature designer for that. The Predator, creature effects designer, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, It. So he's been doing his thing for a while on some some really big movies, Ender's Game, Batman versus Superman. So, you know, Alex, uh, without your contribution to this film, we wouldn't have such a great looking gaboid. Graboid, sorry. So wow. uh, <laughs> with no worms. Um, <laughs> so I just always think of Heidi Klum dressed as a worm. <laughs> and I'm like, that's there there is like a bit of a sleeping bag quality. Yeah. So uh real quick though, when they were making this, the first couple like um you know models for the graboid were really phallic. So they sent like pictures to this uh the studio and like all the women were like, Yeah, this definitely looks like a penis. So they had to like Dick. they had to re- Hey, they asked yeah. some women. That's that seems yeah. impressive for the so I think it was like a foreskin issue on top of the graboid, maybe. I don't know. So they, they, <laughs> I mean better than Jeff yeah, Bezos. So they right? had to give a little, well, little the, snip and I mean, tuck. I would just laugh if somebody saw this graboid and was like, still looks like a penis to me, and it's like, Cynthia, I think you need to start seeing a different caliber of guy. Like what 
yeah, you know, when the penis opens up and the snakes come out and eats your vagina. And they're like, all right, Cynthia, you're, you know what? Cynthia's done. We're not asking Cynthia. So anymore. I pulled out my graboid and Cynthia, <laughs> Cynthia ran. <laughs> you know, somebody has a dildo that's in the shape of a graboid somewhere. I went to a sex store and they had a dildo in the shape of a foot. It was literally a dick on top of a foot. And I was like, somebody's really into this. So I guarantee there's a graboid yeah. penis out there somewhere. <laughs> And if you have a graboid penis, yes, literally, we're not shaming not at all. you. It's not fine. King shame. There's a business idea right there. there. You go. All right. So who are we shouting out saying thank you to? Mr. Alec Gillis. Mr. Alec. We see you and see we, appreciate we appreciate you. Thank you, Alec. Rachel, who do you have? Um, I have another A name. I, I picked Alexander Gruzinski, who's the cinematographer, mm. um, just because I feel like so much of the success of this film comes from all again all of those fun ground shots um i mean we get there's a lot of fun the the pole vaulting scene i think is really fun so the fun. stuff in the truck i feel like is we go back to that word contained there are so many it's a contained film but there's so much containing within the film itself you know mm-hmm. the basement scene they're stuck in the general store this is this is a movie about shrinking right we're we're getting mm. the space that we can occupy is getting smaller and smaller and smaller so I feel like Alex Xander Gruzinski needed a shout out. Very interesting person. Um, he was actually the cinematographer on three episodes of Emily in Paris. Most no recently, way. I think it's <laughs> just like. This is basically the same. He was shooting the same stuff. Yeah. Graboids in Paris. And, yeah, yeah. And like mm-hmm. a lot of fun stuff. I'm just like, wow, like range. We, we love to see. We love to see someone who who made this and then, you know, went on to do. He was the, the DP for Nancy Drew. I mean, just so many like interesting things. So we're going to have Lily um, Lily imagine. come up from the ground, just like the grab boys <laughs> <laughs> whilst in Paris. Love that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's, that is the crossover that we need. <laughs> that nobody asked for, but everybody deserves. Well, Alex. Yeah, we, we love to see someone Alex, who has yeah. um, range. This kind of fun, Listen, fun credits. As Rachel and I are currently writing a psychological thriller together, and we also both wrote rom-coms recently. I say range. Let's do it. Love it. Um, well, Alex, yeah, I think I just picked someone who has the career that I want. There you go. Well, we see you and we appreciate you, Alex the DP. Thank you for Thank your contribution. You. All right. Well, I also went with a man, so now I feel bad, but we'll pick women on the next one. Ivo Cristante was the production Ooh. designer on this film, which I think when you look at like the general store and like you were saying the truck and all these things, like the houses, like just even the outside of the trailers, like so good, just so rich. I know a lot of it took place in the desert, but I thought Ivo did a great job. Um, Ivo and his team. Um, Funny story. He has also had quite the career. So he obviously worked on a bunch of the tremors. He also then went on to do 182 episodes of ER. So he was getting that TV money. You know. Good for him. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Those residual residuals coming in. Hell fucking yeah. Um, and then his last credit was Room 6 in 2006. So I don't know if he just retired. I mean, it does say that he was born in 1949. So he'd be getting old and stuff. But Ivo, thank you for your contribution to Tremors. We see you and we appreciate you. Thank you, Ivo. Thanks, Ivo. Hope you retired with that ER money. Oh, yeah, he's lamping yeah, somewhere. Place in the Bahamas or something. Um, all right. Well, it is that time of the podcast. Thank you, Rachel, for coming. We need to decide if this film has aged like milk or not. David, show us how it's done. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and say that this movie 
did not age like milk. I think it holds up. Might have a couple little sprinkles of some some graboid dirt in there just because you know the, the some of the uh some of the effects practical effects seem a little off mm. if they would make it today um you know their blood would be a little bit better things like that um but i thought this movie is fun from start to finish and it's it sucks you in right just like the graboids they'll pull you right in and it's, okay. it's just a fun movie and like we talked a lot about the containment in this and I, I love to see movies like that i thoroughly enjoyed this movie all that characters are great and this is a fun watch for me i'll watch it again in a couple of years love it all right rachel what do you think I'm going to agree with David. I think this movie did not age like milk. I think it was fun all the way through. I think the characters were all super fun and interesting and different. And I loved seeing them interact in this, this super small town. I think, you know, the Graboids, yeah, they're, they, you know, they, they need a little TLC, I think, in 2023. But a the maybe? story, I feel like this is a... Uh, a, a story that's ripe for revision and i i would totally watch this movie again i'd recommend it as like a fun you know a fun date night maybe not date night but maybe that says more about me than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would you know, I, would I think do it's that. a fun it's a fun little movie to to throw on in the background and you know do a jigsaw puzzle or something there you go i like that it's a good night that is a good date I will agree. I will say, okay, what I will say is this is actually like kind of a fresh milk, the milk being the story inside a container that maybe like got run over by a car, but like held together a little bit. Like, yes, the monsters, the practical effects. Yeah. Fred Ward, big tick for me. Sexy AF. If I could go back in time to the 90s, I would say, hey, Kevin, how's it going? Don't give a shit. Fred Ward. (laughs) what is up he was wearing those jeans hardcore um but also yeah just a great story about a community coming together and like not like you said not being able to trust something that you usually trust but we yeah the orange blood as soon as i saw the monster i mean listen i'm a wuss in the best of terms and i was like okay all right this is a horror movie for babies you know because just looks like they got i don't know a bunch of like vines from Tarzan, and they were like, "Okay, let's make this into a scary thing." And let's... it's a Fanta product placement. Yeah. Oh, and all the product placements were hilarious to me. But it is what yeah. it is. But yeah, no, it's a good fun movie, and I definitely think it's going to lead me down a rabbit hole because as soon as I finished watching it, it was like, "Would you like to watch all of these other hilarious '90s mm-hmm. creature features?" You know. So Kevin Bacon, you know, he's not as sexy as Fred Ward, but he's still good. We love to see it. And yeah, that little girl that then went on to be Jurassic Park famous. Mm-hmm. Fun times, just fun little yeah. film. But yeah, would love to see this remake. I guess there was probably no black people in it, David, because they'd just be like, oh, hell no, I'm out of here. That, like, yeah. <laughs> Help, fuck no. I'm not helping or, the town. They're not going to live in a town called Perfection. Or, <laughs> first of all, or yeah, big red flag. Uh, in the 90s, black people also die first most of the time. This so. is true. To give it to the Chang died like second to last, I think, or last. That was sad. That was a sad death. He got crushed. He they were trying to pull him out, and and I was also thinking like that monster isn't very long. Like when they pulled the full monster out, like how does it digest a human? Lots of questions. Lots of science questions, which we didn't answer in this. But good stomach acid. 
suspend your disbelief Paris yes I'll try well that's it for now Rachel thank you so much again we love to connect with other execs and other writers and creative types we can't wait to see your movie when it eventually does get shot love it see we'll plug it me too yes (laughs) we'll have you back we'll plug the shit out of it and we'll all go get drunk and watch it It'll be great. You, you can watch it for this podcast and see if it's already aged like milk. We will. We can watch it with and you. We'll do a special. Rachel, episode. I'm going to meet you at the Geffen one of these weeks. Awesome. Yeah, I, I will love to see you. Yeah. All right. Well, that's yeah. see more plays. Mm-hmm. That's my my last comment. Just go go support live theater. Hundred percent. We love that. Uh, that's it for now, David. Before we go, you should go ahead and check your fridge and make sure that milk ain't spoiled. Gross Milk is Gross. That's our show. Thanks for listening. Please email us at agelikemilkpodcast at gmail.com and find us on all the social medias and tell us about the plays that you have seen. Bye. They're under the gram.